0: That's noom.com to sign up today.
1: You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm Lee Keller, joined by John Kuh. On today's show, we'll cover the latest news around baseball, which there's a ton of. We'll talk about some player performances from this past week. We'll supply you with a few pictures to stream next week. And we'll be joined by Jack Connors to talk about his article, Can't Fight This Stealing, Making Sense of the Stolen Base Craze. But before we do all of that, John, how's everything going with you?
1: You know, things are all right. Uh, real life is getting a little crazy, and so that makes paying attention to fantasy baseball just a little bit more difficult. I think I said that last week, so you know we're we're in the same spot this week. It just life is busy. At the same time, though, the Twins uh, are on their West Coast trip, so they're facing. They just faced the Dodgers, and they've got the Angels and the Giants next. And um, man, it's been uh, a couple rough days for the Twins. A uh, bunch of injuries and whatnot. So. That's always fun to follow when your own team is is not doing that hot. Um, It it makes it real motivating to follow the rest of baseball.
2: Yeah, it's definitely not a great sign. I feel like the Twins and the Mets are kind of on a yin-yang pace here because the Mets are turning things around right now and people are coming back from injury like Carrasco and Scherzer and Verlander. Like People are coming back and you're losing people, so kind of weird how that's going side by side.
1: Yeah, although isn't Carrasco getting shellacked right now? Let's not talk about that.
2: Uh <laughs> <laughs> it's only four runs in yeah, four innings. Yeah, yeah. It's he not too bad. It. Yeah, he's yeah, fine. He it's nearly a quality him. start, right? <laughs> so, but before we get into this episode, I'd like to remind all of you that you can follow our podcast on Twitter at this week PL, and you could send us your fantasy baseball questions to our email at this Pod at gmail.com. Lastly, make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to your podcasts on, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, we are on all of them, so make sure that you subscribe to the podcast, and please leave us a five-star review if you enjoy listening to us. Now, let's get into the MLB news since the last podcast. Like I said, there's quite a bit, so let's try to get through this. First of all, we start with Drew Rasmussen of the Rays. He was placed on the 60-day IL with a right flexor strain. It was pretty shocking news right after we recorded last week's podcast talking about how dominant Rasmussen was. He went down with this injury seemingly out of nowhere. He'll be shut down from throwing for at least eight weeks, and usually flexor strains lead to Tommy John surgery, so you have to hope that it's not the case for Rasmussen here. That makes two Rays pitchers, Springs and now Rasmussen, that have gone down with arm injuries this season. Pretty crazy stuff, but due to the Rasmussen injury, Taj Bradley was called back up by the Rays, and he started Thursday against the Mets. He looked pretty good going five innings pitch with two earned runs and four strikeouts. He'll most likely have an actual spot in the rotation now, but since it's the Rays, you just never know. But if he does have a rotation spot, Taj Bradley is definitely a guy you want to pick up. John, pretty insane that the Rays lost two big pitchers, two breakout guys, one PLV darling, two big injuries.
1: Yeah, I was I so I was reading stuff on the Rasmussen injury because it literally came out of nowhere. Like yeah. he he had that great start on Thursday, and then the Rays were like, uh no, we're gonna put him on the sixty DIL, right? Like when when a team puts a player directly on the sixty day, that's when you know it's bad. Um I was just doing some reading. It turns out, I forgot about this. Rasmussen has had two Tommy John surgeries wow. already. And now he has this flexor strain, which is just uh, just unfortunate bad luck. Um, You know, there's usually that, like, oh, you know, players can uh, usually get through around, what, like, two, three hundred innings, right, after they get Tommy John. Right. Um, And, and usually they're good. And Rasmussen, it, I mean, it has been a while since he's he had Tommy John. I think it was back in um in twenty twenty nineteen, I believe. Okay. Um feel free to correct me on that someone if you if you know the numbers. But um he he's gone, he's pitched, you know, over two hundred innings essentially, majors and minors, um, since that point. Uh and so I don't know. There's a there's a lot of weird things here. Uh and I, I don't love it. But and Rasmussen was looking real good to to start the season and I'm just bummed that he might not pitch for the rest of the season
2: yeah I tried to look up when he had Tommy John surgery last and I couldn't find anything off the cuff so not sure when that was it sounds about right 2019 so yeah it's just pretty remarkable that he suffered this and he's been going through arm injuries constantly throughout his career and that's just horrible luck because he was having a great season same with Jeffrey Springs it's just pretty big blows to the best team in baseball right there so Maybe Taj Bradley can be the savior we all need if you lost Rasmussen or lost Springs, but we never know because, once again, the Rays are the Rays. Moving on to Jazz Chisholm Jr. of the Marlins. He was placed on the 10-day IL, retroactive to May 14th with Turf Toe. He's expected to miss four to six weeks. Just get him out of center field already. Put him back at second base. You can't get Turf Toe if you're on the the dirt, right? Like, (laughs) you'll be okay. So, yeah, just get Jazz out of center. He doesn't look too great there. Edward Cabrera of the Marlins left his start on Wednesday after 79 pitches due to a blister developing on his right middle finger. Keep an eye on his status next week. His next start comes against the Rockies at Coors Field, so fantasy managers probably hope that the blister pushes him back until the Marlins leave Colorado, but just keep an eye on Edward Cabrera. Dustin May of the Dodgers was placed on the 15-day IL on Thursday, May 18th with a right forearm strain. He left his start on Wednesday after throwing just one inning due to right elbow pain, but thankfully there's no damage to his UCL, and he should only miss about four to six weeks after receiving a PRP injection. Gavin Stone might be taking May spot in the rotation for the time being, so check out if he's available on your wire because he is a big-name prospect that we've talked about before on the podcast. Yandi Diaz of the Rays has missed four straight games due to left groin tightness. He's considered day-to-day for now. Mason Miller of the Athletics was diagnosed with a mild UCL sprain in his right elbow. He was placed on the 15-day IL last week with right elbow inflammation, but it seems that the injury is much worse than we originally thought. The A's believe that he'll return before the end of the season, but I wouldn't really bank on that because he's only thrown 30 professional innings before this, and he's very young, so they'll probably give him more time to rest that arm up. Jose Altuve of the Astros was activated from the IL on Friday, May 19th. He missed the first two months of action with a broken right thumb injury that he sustained in the WBC. Nick Lodolo of the Reds is out indefinitely after being diagnosed with a stress reaction in his left tibia. He will be put in a boot and undergo an MRI in two weeks to see how it's healing, but he'll miss a lot of time. Lodolo looks like he won't return until after the All-Star break. John, this is Pretty bad for the Reds because they didn't really have pitching depth to begin with. They had the big three of Hunter Green, Nick Lodolo, and Graham Ashcraft. Hunter Green is kind of a big cherry bomb right now. Nick Lodolo has been hurt for most of the season now, and Graham Ashcraft has struggled mightily his last few starts. So not
1: too good for the Reds. Any note here? Uh, the only note is that I picked up Lodolo in my leak and that he immediately got injured. So... <laughs> hey, at least he can go right on the i l for you, yeah, that's true. um yeah, Lodolo it was it was interesting because i I think a lot of people had him rightly as a, a higher floor than Hunter green. I think we've we've kind of seen that where yeah, Green definitely has higher highs, but lower lows, and Lodolo's been kind of solid. i mean it it also hasn't been very pretty for him um, and the big thing here was that he hasn't really looked good since spring training and i think it's because of this um, stress reaction in in his in his leg so hopefully this this fix him fixes kind of you know some of the the stuff that he was dealing with obviously he's going to be out for a while which sucks um but at least we know kind of why he was doing poorly it's because of an injury and not just because he you know didn't have something mechanically or his stuff wasn't working um it's at least slightly optimistic
2: Yeah, I agree with that completely because if he was going through this the whole time, it makes a lot more sense why he struggled later on after he started off so well in the season. So Mm -hmm. I definitely agree with that. And hopefully he gets better soon and we see him sooner rather than later because he is definitely someone that people were looking forward to. Nico Horner of the Cubs was activated from the IL on Friday, May 19th. He's been out with a mild left hamstring strain. Hayden Wesneski of the Cubs was optioned to AAA Iowa on Monday, May 15th. He had a lot of hype coming into the season as a potential sleeper, but he hasn't been good since joining the Cubs rotation and over 5 ERA, a bad whip. So hopefully Wesneski can figure things out in AAA and join the club again soon. Cody Bellinger of the Cubs was placed on the 10-day I.L. on Friday, retroactive to May 16th, with a left knee contusion. He banged his knee against the wall after making a spectacular catch in Monday's game. The injury is considered to not be serious. He was day-to-day for three days, but the Cubs ultimately decided to let him rest a bit more by sending him to the I.L. He should be back in the minimum amount of time, which is by next Friday. Manny Machado of the Padres was placed on the 10-day IL on Friday, May 19th with a fracture in his left hand. He was hit by a pitch on the hand on Monday and has missed every game since. I just wanted to give myself a little bit of props because before this news came out, which was right before we recorded this podcast, I wrote in my notes here that even though Bob Melvin said that he doesn't believe that he'll require an IL stint, I personally thought he would definitely end up on the IL and then surprise, he's on the IL. So, At least I had a good feeling about it, but obviously we don't like to see Machado being hurt. Hopefully he can heal up fast and this time can be used to clear his head a bit to get back on track when he returns because, man, he's been struggling. John, I have like two shares of Machado and I was very big on him. I was drafting him in the first round if I had a late first round pick in a 12-15 team league. So big bummer that he's hurt.
1: Yeah, there was kind of an interesting discussion, you know, around draft time of like, could you, you know, who are the guys that you want to take, right? Obviously, there was, there was, um, Joe Ram's obviously the best third baseman. There's, there's yep. no one questioning that. And then it was, you know, Machado. It was Austin Riley. Devers, you know, there was some Devers for sure. Um, and then you know, there's even some Nolan Arenado sneaking to the yep. conversation there. The interesting thing here is that out of all those guys, Devers is probably the one that has looked the best. Yep. Um, Joe Ram's just, you know, doing Joe Ram things, but the the power and the speed combo hasn't been as electric as we thought it was going to be. And that's just the thing with, you know, traps; They can never truly predict what's going on. You're just trying to get the best production you can. can. But Machado truly has not been playing well um, this season. And I, I think it's playing well by, not just his standards, but just in relation to other third baseman right he's he's currently his average is 231 that's that's not something that we really are excited about the counting stats aren't really there for being on a team like san diego um where there's plenty of opportunities to either get batted in or bat in a run um yeah it's been a really weird season for him and um maybe this just gives him an opportunity to reset mentally um Obviously, he's probably not going to get too affected by this this broken hand when he comes back. Um, but maybe it's just an opportunity for the, him and the Padres both to just all reset and just get their minds at this, in the right place. Because the Padres as a team are also severely underperforming for the amount of talent that's on that roster.
2: Yeah, it's definitely sad for Padres fans because you just expect so much with Bogarts, Machado, Tatis, Soto. I mean, just those four names alone make your head spin, so... It's been a bad start for the Padres. It's been a horrible start for Machado. And just a quick note, too, on Machado. His numbers might not look too, too bad, but you have to remember that half of those stats came in the Mexico series where the ball was just flying out of the yard. He had two home runs, I believe. And they look much worse if you don't include that Mexico series. So... Yeah, Machado's been really, really underwhelming. I think he will find it still. You got to remember that he's someone with a long track history of being good. And those kind of players, you got to let breathe a little bit and come around. Don't panic. Drop Machado, which I saw on like Reddit that people were dropping Machado. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, don't drop Machado. Don't trade him away for pennies on the dollar. Just ride it out. It's a bad stretch. Just like Nolan Arenado, He completely flipped the season around in the last week. That's it. So it just takes one week for everything to get going.
1: Yeah, funny thing about the whole Arenado thing, I don't want to get too much of a tangent here, but um, apparently he's just been trying to be an all-fields batter for like the past month and a half. Um, if you follow Nate Schwartz, uh, if you been following Nate Schwartz, he's been on the pod before, big Cardinals guy. Uh, he's been talking about how Arenado has just been trying to be an all-fields guy despite the fact that he has his, the most success when he pulls the ball. <laughs> hey, guess what? What happens when Arenado pulls the ball? He does well, surprisingly. So... Uh, hopefully the Cardinals are getting their collective um, heads out of their own butts, uh, to put it nicely, <laughs> and um, figure out how to play baseball like a regular, uh, regular team.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. I heard news that Arenado was fighting through like dead hands, which is expected because he did get hit on the hand in the WBC with a pitch. Mm. So he probably was still having some lingering effects of that to start the season. And then also, I noticed that too. Obviously, I'm not a Cardinals writer or follow the team, but I do watch a lot of their games. And Arenado's swing looked horrible. Like, it looked like he was trying to go the opposite way. But if you were trying to do it for the first time ever in your life and you were given a bat that you had no idea how to use, that's what it looked like. (laughs) And obviously, he's a pole hitter that has extreme success pulling the ball like you mentioned mm-hmm. so yeah the fact that he tried to go away from that is pretty wild i get evolving as a player but this deep into your career just keep pulling the ball arnado right
1: do <laughs> the thing that makes you an all-star mvp caliber player it's not that yeah not don't that weird <laughs>
2: change anything don't do a cody bellinger where you win mvp and then change something to your swing well, or you uh, fall off yeah, of a that, cliff that's because
1: he celebrated in a weird way
2: yeah <laughs> yeah that's true you're right you're right <laughs> Moving on to the rest of the news, Seth Lugo of the Padres was placed on the 15-day IL, retroactive to May 17th with a calf strain. He left his start on Tuesday against the Royals after pitching two innings due to this injury. Lugo isn't expected to face a lengthy absence after imaging revealed that it's a minor calf strain. Starling Marte of the Mets was hit on the hand with a pitch on Wednesday and wasn't in the lineup on Thursday, but returned to the lineup on Friday. He was sent for x-rays and they came back negative, so the fact that he's playing and in the lineup on Friday means that it's not a major concern. Mark Vientos was called up by the Mets on Wednesday and hit a game-tying two-run home run in his season debut. The very next day, he wasn't in the lineup, which is a whole different discussion that is mildly infuriating to me as a Mets fan. I am just, ah, man, I am livid on some certain situations. But I believe, I believe, you have to believe, right? You gotta believe the Mets saying, but let Mark Vientos play, please. Christian Jelic of the Brewers missed two straight games with back tightness, but rejoined the lineup on Friday. The back tightness is something that he'll probably have to manage throughout the rest of the season and his career, but at least he's back in the lineup and hopefully doesn't get hurt again. CJ Krohn of the Rockies was placed on the 10-day IL on Monday, May 15th with back spasms. He'll most likely miss a couple of weeks. Jacob deGrom of the Rangers threw a light bullpen session without any issues on Tuesday. He's slowly ramping up and is expected to return to the rotation in late May or early June. DeGrom has been out since late April due to right forearm tightness. Eloy Jimenez of the White Sox told reporters on Wednesday that he hopes to return next week. He's coming back after being hospitalized earlier this month with appendicitis. Jose Ramirez of the Guardians was activated from the bereavement list on Friday, May 19th and was in the lineup against the Mets. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. of the Blue Jays is going through some right knee discomfort. Aren't all of us 30-plus-year-olds? I know I am. Vlad missed two straight games, but was able to pinch hit on Thursday. He could be back in the starting lineup this weekend. Anthony Rendon of the Angels was placed on the 10-day IL, retroactive to May 14th with a left groin strain. Tommy Edmond of the Cardinals was removed from Thursday's game against the Dodgers with lower abdomen soreness. He collided with Lars Newtbar in the outfield and was forced to leave the game in the third inning. It doesn't seem like it's a serious concern, but we should learn more information about this injury over the weekend. Matthew Libertor of the Cardinals was called up and made his 2023 season debut against the Brewers. He pitched very well and manager Oliver Marmol confirmed thursday that he will remain in the rotation there were some rumors that he would go to the bullpen maybe get a start or two but he will remain in the rotation his minor league numbers over the past two years have been meh but he is still a highly touted prospect that looks good this season pick him up if you have a free spot on your team but he's not a top priority guy john carlos of the yankees is getting close to a minor league rehab assignment according to manager aaron boone he's been out with a left hamstring strain Domingo Herman of the Yankees has received a 10-game suspension following his ejection from Tuesday's start against the Blue Jays for the use of an illegal foreign substance. It was pretty obvious that he was using some sort of substance. There was a video of Herman in the dugout wiping his hands on his pants, and a smear of something went on him. It was so dark and sticky. It was weird. This is like the exact opposite of the Scherzer situation that happened earlier this season where Scherzer wasn't cheating, and Herman is. What's crazy is that the umpire crew that originally checked Erman earlier this season and made him wash his hands and continue to let him pitch was the umpire crew for this game as well. This time, they just deemed him worthy of ejection and weren't so lenient, so Domingo Erman was tossed and received a 10-game suspension. And last but not least, Luis Severino of the Yankees will rejoin the Yankees rotation and start Sunday against the Reds. He missed the first two months of the 2023 season with a low-grade right lat strain. It's exciting news for the Yankees and fantasy managers that Sevi will finally return to the bump. But John, any last notes about this list?
1: Uh, yeah, for Matthew Libertari, if you're interested in just kind of learning about more um nick did a pitcher breakdown video so check that out if you want to see if you want to pick up uh libra uh should be on the pitch list uh youtube page and also on pitchlist.com and then domingo herman i mean that first game was against the twins he had three perfect innings and they said oh go wash your hands he stayed in the game yada 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 i'm I'm not bitter um (laughs) but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was clear, like, the the set is the stickiest hand I've ever felt, you yeah. know? Like, and that that's, like, with guys who routinely are, like, checking guys' hands who have, like, rosin and sweat and yada yada yada, right? Like, they know what, like, a sticky hand feels like when it's just using rosin. And when they say, oh, this is the stickiest hand I've ever felt, like, you know, like, there's something a little extra there. So, um, yeah, that, that's all I want to say, um yeah but ultimately it's, it is what it is right a lot of big names still on the list and um, hopefully you guys are finding people on your way for wire they're that, that you're able to pick up and, and fill these holes
2: yeah it's all about plugging and repeating man you have to make sure that you can plug all these holes that happen from injury and hopefully those guys you pick up are hot and get you through the season and then when they come back you just plug them back in and hopefully it works out because there are so many injuries so many problems there's a lot of data to dive into about the pitch clock and stuff and if more pitcher injuries are happening due to it but that's a discussion for another time but before we get into the weekly performance recaps we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back after this
0: fads come and go and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss that's why noom has created weight management programs that are made to last noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today.
2: All right, we're back and it's time for the weekly performance recaps. John, who do we have from this weekend that performed well?
1: Yeah, we're going to start uh, May 12th with Cedric Mullins of the Orioles. Went four for five with two runs, a double, a triple, and a homer with three RBI. Yes, that is a cycle, apparently the 12th cycle in Baltimore history. Mullins has been chasing that 30-30 season he's had back in 2021. Uh, he didn't reach it last season. Uh, got Went about 15-30. I don't know the exact numbers, but that was around what he was. This season... The power still isn't there, uh, but he is—he does have a lot of steals. So he's well on pace to get past that 30 mark, again, at least in terms of the stolen base department. He is still doing really well. He's slashing a respectable 266, 356, 475. Uh, that slugging is particularly impressive. That's, And he's also top 10 among all batters in RBI and steals. So definitely contributing to your team, both in ratios and in counting stats. Not bad for a guy who... You know, was you drafted fairly early um in, in drafts in you know, as we mentioned in our draft podcast, not a particularly deep outfielder group. So good to see Mullins is uh contributing in a big way. Another guy who's contributing a big way is my man Alex Kirilov, who went three for three with a double two homers, three runs and two RBIs on Saturday. Um I was actually at this game. This was also the game where the twins hit five homers off Hayden Wisneski, so that was kind of hilarious. Um but yeah, Alex Kirilov. the big thing with him is the hit tool and the power has always been there, right? That's why he was a former Consensus Top 100 prospect. The only problem is he's been dealing with these wrist injuries the past two years. He finally had off-season wrist surgery this past season, which the team described as kind of the last resort sort of surgery. And he's come back, and he's done really well. Um, he's only played in 11 games so far, but he is currently slashing 333, 455, 556. Obviously that's not gonna stick. I don't think he's gonna have an all-star level OPS over the course of the season. But he definitely has the tools to remain a solid ratios guy in your leagues. The counting stats, we'll see if those kind of come along. This this game is probably has been the kind of the big provider of all his counting stats so far. But it's only been eleven games. The twins are gonna try to play him every single day if they can, whether that's on first base or uh DHing as well. So I expect Kirloff to have um Yeah, a pretty consistent season as long as he stays healthy. And then finally on Sunday, Taylor Walls of Tampa Bay went 3 for 4 with a triple, a homer, a run, four RBIs, and a stolen base. Walls has been kind of a weird enigma this season. On one hand, he looks like one of the hottest batters in baseball on one of the hottest teams in baseball. On the other hand, he still is striking out a decent bunch. He's not making a ton of hard contact. The counting stats look really good. Uh, The position flexibility is also nice there. He's eligible at second, third, and shortstop. So, if you are if you have him on your team, I'd pretty much keep starting him until the wheels come off. Um, he looks legit, as far as I can tell. Uh, there's nothing in that makeup that I'm saying that feels uh, incorrect here.
2: So, for Mullins, I am a very big Mullins supporter. I like him a lot, and he was someone that I drafted a lot, believe it or not, in a bunch of leagues because... The potential of that 30-30 season, I don't think it's gonna happen. I think he's more of a 30 stolen base guy and more of a 15 homer guy. But hey, Mullins has legitimate tools, and I like betting on those tools. And I also just like him as a human being. So I really like Mullins. I'm glad he's doing well. Kirillov, man, if he can just stay healthy, he can be so good. I'm not going to say that the wrist is not a problem because. It probably is going to be, I don't know. I have to see him play for at least one month on the field with no breaks and no injuries before I can be like, you know what? Let's totally buy into Kirillov, But honestly, this injury. is the time you have to buy in. Otherwise, you're going to miss out on him. I just find it so hard to believe in a guy who has glass wrists. I mean, that's what it feels like. They've had to shave his bone down. I've never even heard of yeah. that. I didn't know you mm-hmm. could do that to a human being. So <laughs> that's scary in itself. But if Kirillov is healthy... He's always been a top prospect, and I believe what he's doing right now is real. I just need to see him healthy and doing it for an extended period of time. And then Taylor Walls, yeah, he's been great. I mean, the Rays just have some sort of Michael's Secret stuff going on over there in Tampa Bay because he's looked really good, and he was someone who was also a top prospect, but never on that kind of level, and he's just performing like an absolute stud right now.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the the weird thing with Walls, too, was that there was, I think there was like some storylines initially where it was like, oh, he's just going to be platooned. But he's played in over 75% of the Rays' games, so they're clearly not using him just as a platoon guy. Um, He is almost an everyday role, so, you know, just, just keep starting him because he's, he's going to play most of the games.
2: Yeah, and with those eligibilities, obviously he's going to move around the diamond and can play all those days.
1: Moving on to pitchers, uh, starting with Chris Bassett of the Blue Jays. Man, that's kind of weird to say, but uh, yeah, he's no longer a Met or an A. So yep. that's what it is. But on Friday, he went nine innings, zero in runs, two hits, two walks, and eight strikeouts against Atlanta. Um, again, we've got to highlight a complete game shutout. It's just kind of a rarity in baseball, especially um, nowadays with Sandy Alcantara kind of being the only pitcher who really can accomplish it. Um, but yeah, congratulations to Chris Bassett. He did this in 103 pitches. He doesn't look like that pitcher that blew up early in the season. He had a couple ugly starts. The ability is kind of a good reason why he remains on fantasy teams. You know, Chris Bassett's kind of the guy who just holds down your rotation. He's not an ace by any stretch, uh, but he's not a guy who's droppable either. Um, and so, yeah, if he continues this form, obviously we're not going to expect more complete game shutouts, but just a, a solid ratios guy. He might not have great strikeouts uh, numbers, but honestly, that's kind of okay for someone who you have as an SP3 or an SP4 on your squad. Joe Ryan of the Twins went up against the Cubs on Saturday. Six innings, zero in runs, four hits, one walk, and ten strikeouts. I had to highlight Kirilov's counterpart on the mound as Ryan pitched a masterclass against the Cubs. Also, check out Talking Pitching, which is another podcast on the Pitchless Podcast Network. As uh, our man Alex Fast uh, just interviewed Joe Ryan, so check that out. Um, he finally got his Aces going to ace designation this week, and I would not be surprised if he continues to soar as the year goes on. And then Mitch Keller of the Pirates uh, up against Baltimore on Sunday went seven innings, zero in runs, four hits, zero walks, and 13 strikeouts. Truly the gift that keeps on giving. Just a reminder that Keller was the consensus. 161st pitcher, based on ADP, according to Fantasy Pros. We keep highlighting him, and for good reason. Outings like this are ridiculous and kind of unexpected. Keller had a combined 52% CSW on his four-seamer and sinker combined, and then the sweeper was also getting strikes like like none other. So, just good job for Keller. Uh, Last year, there was a lot of hype when he was touching triple digits on his fastball, and it never really came to anything, but this year, he looks legit.
2: Yeah, so I'm going to save any comments on Chris Bassett because I actually talk about him a little bit later from his start this week. And man, he's been great. Joe Ryan is literally an ace now. It's awesome that he got the ace is going to ace designation. And I just listened to the interview with Alex Fast and it's incredible. It's a great listen. It's something that you can dive deeper into and learn that he learned stuff from the pitching ninja gifts of like Kevin Gosman. It's really a great listen. So go and listen to that. I think it's 18 minutes long and definitely worth your 18 minutes of time. And then Mitch Keller, it's a little bit of a joke in my home league where everyone, when he has a good start, calls him my cousin Mitch because obviously my last name's Keller. So they keep going. Thanks for your <laughs> your cousin's amazing start this week. And it happened against me one time. So they had the my cousin Mitch little vibe there is very funny but yeah Mitch Keller's been balling he's been a legitimate ace as well this season he's someone that kind of unexpected but once again he had that prospect pedigree he's just making it all click right now
1: yeah and it's happening for the Pirates too which is kind of incredible too
2: yeah it's something you definitely didn't expect but hey I'm sure the Pirates are loving it right now and Mitch Keller looks like an ace moving on to Monday May 15th from the hitter article by Gabe Goralnik Shout out to Aaron Judge, Max Muncy, and Cal Raleigh, who all hit two home runs each on Monday. Judge and Muncie are obviously having fantastic seasons, and Raleigh has been a serviceable catcher for fantasy purposes. But I wanted to talk about a lesser-known guy that hit two home runs on Monday, and that's Brenton Doyle of the Rockies. He went 3-for-4 with a double, two home runs, three runs, and three RBI. He hit a double and a 103-mile-per-hour exit velocity homer off of Hunter Green in this game, as well as his second homer off of Buck Farmer later on in the game. The rookie's slash line for the season is 255-293-545, so for average leagues he's middle of the pack, and his on-base skills are lackluster, but he has four home runs and six stolen bases in 19 games. Doyle obviously benefits from his home park being Coors Field, but the counting stats that he's giving you have been great for fantasy he's only four percent rostered on yahoo so if you're in a five outfielder league or a deeper league play or an nl only league he's a sneaky ad right now he's been very good and then alex bregman of the astros he went two for four with a homer a run and two rbi bregman has had a solid start to the season his batting average is a bit low but his on base percentage as usual is outstanding bregman's slash line is currently 224. 340, 379. However, his expected batting average is 254, which is 30 points higher, and his expected slugging percentage is 428, which is 50 points higher. The concerning thing is that his average exit velocity is 28th percentile, his hard hit percentage is 25th percentile, and his barrel percentage is 23rd percentile. All of those are very bad, but that's pretty much the normal for Bregman throughout his career, the outlier being his 2018 season, where his hard hit percentage was 64th percentile. He's a good option at third base that is way more viable in OBP or points leagues, but I don't expect any 30-plus home run seasons from Bregman these days. I think he had 31 homers in 2018 and then 41 in 2019 where it was the juiced ball, but Yeah, I don't know. I don't think that power is there for Bregman anymore. I would bet on him to hit 20 home runs, be in that 20 to 25 area, more than that 25 to 30 area. Because the power's just not there. He doesn't hit the ball hard.
1: Yeah, it's kind of weird from a guy who, just a few years ago, was a legitimate MVP candidate. Um, Yeah, Bregman is just, it's weird. But the thing is, he's like a good baseball player. Yeah, he's very good. So it's 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 weird to like knock him because he's just not like a top three third baseman in terms of fantasy. Right. Um. At the same point, he's contributing a big way for the Astros. Obviously, they're doing really well. Um. So, it is what it is. Sometimes you just have good baseball players who don't give a lot of great fantasy stats. And then, Brent Doyle. Uh. That's why I like this podcast because I have no idea who this kid is. <laughs> uh. But yeah, it sure helps to have uh to play your home games in Coors Field, and. Uh, that's definitely a line that you can um, run with in these deep leagues or NL only leagues. Um, And again, you could just drop him really quickly if you really need to.
2: Yeah. He's someone that I put a few low dollar bids on in 15 team leagues and five outfielder leagues, because Hey, if you have four homers and six stolen bases in 19 games, I don't want to prorate that and make it look as good as it can be because he's probably not going to do that, but it looks good. It's going to help you. So Bretton Doyle is definitely a deep league option for you if you need help in the outfield. And yeah, Bregman, he's a better real-life player than fantasy, I think. And obviously with third base being so bad, he's still like a top 10 third baseman. But I just don't really buy the stats he's going to give you long-term. Moving on to pitchers from Monday from the SP Roundup article Hunter or Hunted by Nick Pollock. We start with Michael Waka of the Padres, who went 7 innings pitched, no earned runs, 1 hit, 1 walk, and 11 strikeouts against the Royals. He was a popular 2-star streamer option this week. Michael Waka absolutely dominated the Royals. He had 10 whiffs on his changeup and carved up the lowly Royals lineup with ease. I was actually watching this game, and he looked really, really good. Now, obviously the results would indicate that, but it also passed the eye test. It didn't just look like he was getting lucky and the Royals were bad. The pitches looked really good. However, Waka is a guy that embodies the shrug emoji, where he either looks like this or is flat-out dreadful. So that's why I'd only recommend him as a streamer option, especially against horrible offenses, because this is what he can do. He's capable of this. I mean, a 30% CSW, 18 whiffs. He looked really good against the Royals. But once again, the Royals aren't very good, and Waka looked to have his a stuff this game. And then Jack Flaherty of the Cardinals went 7 innings pitched, no earned runs, 3 hits, two walks, and 10 strikeouts against the Brewers. I'll admit I'm not the biggest Flaherty fan. Shout out to my friend Sam, though, who is a big Flaherty guy. This was a wonderful start from Flaherty, who was sitting 93 to 94 with his fastball and had over 10 whiffs on his breaking stuff. I personally don't believe it. He also gets the Dodgers next, so there's even more reason to be skeptical. I just don't think Flaherty is an ace type anymore. He's walking too many batters, the expected ERA and expected FIP are all in line with what his actual stats are. There's no discrepancy there, the hard contact percentage is up, all things you don't want to see. Can he be usable for fantasy as a low-end SP4 type? Sure, but the days of him being an ace seem to be gone. I just wouldn't rely on him for that. And then also quick shout out to Charlie Morton of the Braves, who had 23 whiffs and a 39% CSW against the Rangers. That was a golden goal for him. And his curveball earned 20 whiffs, returning a 45% CSW. Just wow on that.
1: Yeah. uh, Flaherty is just kind of, he's been kind of weird this, this season. Um, He had that big kind of blow up against reporters that they're asking, like, how's your fastball velocity? And it was like, oh, I'm, I'm good with, like, a slower fastball or a faster fastball. It just depends on the day. I'm just like, I don't think that's what you really believe. But yeah, right. It, it's, yeah, it's – he definitely is no longer that guy who, you know, even two, three years ago was a guy that we thought could break into being a top-ten pitcher, right? Like, he had that potential. Um, and instead, injuries have kind of wrecked him a little bit and – uh, yeah, it just hasn't been pretty for Flaherty. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, moving on to Tuesday then, uh, we're going to start off with batters. Thanks to Mark Stuminger for his daily hitting recap. Uh, we're going to start with Isaiah Keiner-Falefa. Went two for three with a double, a homer, three runs, an RBI, and a walk. The fact that IKF had this stat line in this baseball game should have been the leading story in New York because, wow, IKF <laughs> did something. But of course, it was overshadowed by the fact that Domingo Hermann left the game, as we mentioned, with the stickiest hand ever. Still, it's nice to see IKF produce some hitting stats. Just don't expect this to be the norm. He still only has a 49 WRC+. And then Masataka Yoshida of the Red Sox. Two for five with a double, a triple, two runs, and three RBI. Uh, He's been pretty much everything as advertised. Slashing impressive 300, 381, 500, over 36 games. That slugging is actually kind of impressive for a guy who wasn't necessarily known for his power in Japan. He had a really good uh, homer. He had... A good homer season last year, but that hasn't been his calling card. But he's been an RBI machine for the Red Sox. The strikeout rate is an impressive 9.4%, which is good for 7th in the majors right now. Uh, the ratios aren't a fluke either. The expected stats are actually fairly close to what his actual numbers are. Um, so the BABIP is also in the f- the 50th percentile as well. So he's not really getting lucky by any means. Um, this is looking like a real good pickup for the Red Sox, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, so the comps for Yoshida coming over were like Alex Verdugo, and that's kind of yes. why I faded him in drafts because Verdugo yep. is not really anything, but crazy enough, just looked it up. Verdugo's stat line for just counting stats, 36 runs, 5 homers, 18 RBI, 3 stolen bases, and a 380 OBP. Yoshida, 26 runs, 6 home runs, 28 RBI, two stolen bases, and a 381 OVP. So mm-hmm. pretty much the same thing. So honestly, right. great comp for everybody who comped that out because that's remarkable. But Yoshida looks very impressive, and I think he's only going to get better. I think the power is going to come around more, and I think he'll ultimately be better than Alex Verdugo. Mm-hmm. But Yoshida's been a pleasant surprise, and he really equates it all because he started off the season really poorly. And I read somewhere that he realized that his stance was a little bit off so we made a change in his batting stance and the way he you know swings the bat a little bit and ever since that change it kind of goes back to right when he got hot and it all works out like he legitimately made a change got better from that change and it's been working so I really love when a player can hone in on something that's going wrong change it and immediately get results and the fact that Yoshida did that so early on to his young MLB career Is very promising. So I like this kid a lot. I think he's going to be very, very good. And then IKF, no notes. (laughs) No notes whatsoever.
1: (laughs) Not at all. The funny thing about the Yoshida comp was like, well, Verdugo's not like a bad baseball player. So if you have two of him on a team, that can't be the worst thing. (laughs) Yeah,
2: for real life purposes, having two of those kind of guys is great. I mean, I think both of them are great real life players, but it's about fantasy here for us. And Verdugo in fantasy, in OBP leagues, he's more suitable. Points leagues, he's more suitable. But... He's nothing really spectacular. And no, Yoshida, no. I think, can be spectacular.
1: Yeah, especially if, if that power continues. So Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Moving on to pitchers, we have the Lorenzen Garden article from Nick Pollock. Of course, going to start off with Michael Lorenzen, who, funny enough, has center field eligibility in some leagues still. <laughs> um, he, he pitched against the Pirates on Tuesday. Six innings, zero runs, five hits, two walks, and seven strikeouts. He was somehow able to get a win uh, and turn in his third straight solid outing, which is tough to say for a Detroit pitcher. He was relying on the slider and the changeup to get his strikes. And he was preventing hard contact off the fastball, which has usually been the Achilles heel for him. He now gets rewarded with the Royals and the White Sox twice in his next three starts. I'm going to uh, spoil this already, but he is a very solid streaming option, and I definitely recommend picking him up if you can. He's only rostered in 12% of Yahoo! Leagues. And then we have a very fun uh, (laughs) write-up because of last week. uh, If you remember, um, we kind of put Lance Lynn to rest, uh, figuratively. Uh, Well, he decided to come back the dead uh, with a seven-inning, one-on-run, seven hits, zero walks, and seven strikeout performance against (laughs) Cleveland. I guess news of Lynn's demise was premature. After Lee's ode to Lynn last week, Lance decided to turn back the clock and remind people that, yes, he is a professional baseball player and he can dominate a weak Cleveland lineup that does not have Joe Ram in it. One of the more impressive stats, a 45% CSW on this four-seamer. Uh, the four-seamer is also registering at 93 miles an hour. Yes, that's slow but it is almost a tick higher than his season average. So, um, yeah whatever you're doing Lance, just just keep doing it. This This seems to work.
2: Yeah, so funny story with Lance Lynn. There's two things I want to say. I'll start with the story and the story is that I genuinely, when I made that ode on the podcast last week, you know, saying goodbye to Lance Lynn, I did drop all of my shares of Lance Lynn. I'm going to be completely honest. I dropped all of my shares of him. But in my home league, (laughs) okay, just because the matchup is a specific way it's a head-to-head league, I had Hunter Green go on Monday and he gave up six earned runs, but he struck out eight. And the person I'm versing has a lot of relievers and only has four starters so I need volume strikeouts and quality starts so I kind of picked up Lance Lynn again and used him and it worked out but yeah I did kind of be a little bit of a hypocrite there sorry everybody but (laughs) yeah Lance Lynn had a great start I want to point out because I didn't point this out last time I did say that I expect him to be better rest of season, but I just can't do it right now because he's literally killing you in fantasy. He is right. literally bringing everything down. But I just want to point out that he does currently have a 3.69 XFIP. So his expected numbers are better than what he is giving. I mean, his ERA right now is 6.66 and his expected ERA, if you like that, that is 5.04. So not much better, but it is significantly, I mean, a whole run less. And then the XFIP, like I said, is 3.69. So There is promise for Lance Lynn. He's going to be better. I truly believe that. But there's a time where you have to cut bait on someone. And I think that was the right time still last week. Obviously, this was an amazing start because, once again, the Guardians were already struggling and Jose Ramirez wasn't in the lineup. So it looks much better because Joe Ram actually has great numbers off of Lance Lynn as well. So it was a little easier to carve up the lineup for the Guardians. But yeah, Lance Lynn, I still am worried about. He does get a start against the Royals this weekend, which is obviously another good matchup, but I still don't trust everything he's doing. I think he will get better. He's a second-half guy, so take that with a grain of salt. But yeah, Lance Lynn, he's an enigma right now. I heard rumors that because of the pitch clock, he is moving at a faster pace, and he is a bigger guy. Not trying to shame anybody here. He's just a bigger guy, and that's just a fact. And maybe it's taking a little bit of a toll on him to work at this quick of a pace so yeah maybe that's it maybe it's just he's a second half guy not really sure what it is but if you roster lance lynn good luck until the second half
1: yeah yeah. let's hope he does turn around though because this is definitely a good sign obviously against a poor team um and uh yeah maybe that ode was the thing to kind of wake him up
2: yeah maybe he was listening and was just like you know what i gotta be better because these guys are clowning on me guys that have never sniffed the major league level are just putting me to rest i can't have that yeah (laughs) 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 moving on to wednesday may 17th from the daily hitting recap article by jim chatterton we start with adolis garcia of the rangers he went two for four with two home runs two runs and two rbi is there anyone more slept on for fantasy purposes than adolis garcia i've been in on this guy for the last two seasons now and it has paid off greatly the thing is he's only getting better Garcia has been cutting down on his strikeouts and improving his walk rate. His K percentage has gone down by 4% each season since 2021, and the walk rate has gone up 1-2%. to each season. He's got a hard hit percentage of 54.2% right now. He has a near 50% fly ball percentage and a 37.5% ground ball percentage. All things that you want to see. I think he'll start running a lot more soon whenever he's not hitting the ball out of the park that is. And honestly, I think he's just someone that you should buy. If the manager that has him thinks that he's just on a hot streak or may not fully believe in him, maybe they believe they're selling high on him. I think you should grab him. I mean, he's been 20-20 for what, two seasons now? And I think he could realistically go 30, 20, 30, 15, 35, 20. Like this guy can put up the numbers on the board. So get Adolis Garcia if you can get any sort of deal on him. Obviously he's ranked like top five on Yahoo right now. And a lot of people are probably hesitant to trade him, but maybe they don't believe in it and think it's a hot streak and you can acquire him for the cheap because I would recommend doing that because Garcia is very good. And then Christopher Morel of the Cubs, he went 3-for-5 with a home run, two runs, an RBI, and a walk. Morel has been one of the hottest hitters in baseball over this past week. I don't expect him to keep this up all season because, well, that need to be Ronald Acuna Jr. with four position eligibilities, but he does have the power and speed combo to be super helpful for your fantasy team. The two question marks with Morel are his K-rate and his playing time. The K percentage is nearly 40%, which is not a good sign, especially because he doesn't walk very much either. His plate discipline is pretty poor. If he can improve on the K percentage, then the sky's the limit for him, honestly. Lastly, the playing time is a big concern. Now that Horner has returned, he doesn't have a specific position to play. Bellinger just went on the IL, like we mentioned, so he might see some more time in the outfield for the time being, but when Belly comes back, where does he go? They have a lot of mouths to feed. Seiya Suzuki, Trey Mancini, Cody Bellinger, I mean, Patrick Wisdom. There's just a lot of guys that have to get ABs here, so I don't know what they do. Obviously, if he's hitting like this, the Cubs will find a way to play him, but regardless, Morel has been incredible for fantasy, and you have to ride him while he's hot. And then lastly, shout out to Morel's teammate, Seiya Suzuki, who hit two home runs on Wednesday, which gave him three home runs in three straight plate appearances. He's been doing really well since coming off of the IL with his oblique injury, so if a manager dropped him at any point, maybe you go and pick him up.
1: Yeah, Morrell's just one of those guys who I think he had on a hot streak last year as well. Yep, he did. Um and it was just like, oh pick him up, pick him up. And then you picked him up, but it was like, oh no, that was just a thing. Like yeah. he's yeah. Not just a that phase. Good. And, right. And I think the clear thing is that forty percent uh strikeout rate, right? Like, like that is a thing that is consistent, at least. Um and if he isn't getting on base, uh well, if we know how often he's getting on base essentially. Um, he doesn't do enough to he's probably not going to get enough steals to warrant keeping him on your team the homers definitely for sure are not a sustainable thing for him um, and so he's one of those guys where as soon as he hits that cold streak you just drop him um, and I think you have to be okay with that and then Adelise yeah it's it's a little unfortunate the speed has been there otherwise I would be like oh yeah he's going to have a 30-30 season because that just seems to be like the thing that he's always almost getting um but yeah he's one of those guys who i feel like just doesn't get the respect he deserves um maybe it's maybe it's because there's a lot of good outfielders ahead of him for sure uh but it always feels like people discount what garcia can do um on a year-to-year basis because he's been fairly consistent with at least being like a 2020 guy for the last i think three four seasons maybe but three seasons for sure so um yeah i would say if you can get him somehow don't overpay, but also realize that he is like a really consistent dude as, uh, in, in a season-long format.
2: Yeah, maybe in head-to-head leagues, he's a little bit more frustrating because he'll go on a really hot stretch and then go cold. But at the end of the year, especially in Roto Leagues, Adolis provides the stats you want to see, and he's been very consistent with it for the past few years. So yeah, he's someone I really like to acquire if you can, because I think he's got a lot more in the tank. Moving on to pitchers from Wednesday, we have the SP Roundup article, Sonny Boo Boo from Nick Pollock. We start with Chris Bassett, who was already mentioned before, like I said. I just had to highlight him again. He went seven innings pitched, no earned runs, three hits, one walk, and seven strikeouts against the Yankees. He cashed in another epic performance against the Yankees following that complete game shutout against the Braves that John mentioned. That makes 27 scoreless innings in a row for Bassett, which is just incredible. Since his first start of the season where his velocity was down and he got clobbered by the Cardinals, Bassett has been remarkable. He really only had that one bad start, and everyone freaked out and panicked. They were like, oh, drop Bassett. Even I was a little concerned. The velocity was down, but I was mainly more concerned because he's a very slow-working pitcher, and with the whole pitch clock thing and pitch being in, I didn't know how he would fare, and it turns out it's not a big deal at all because he is just grinding now. The velocities back up as we expected, and he's really found his control, playing off of that sinker that he throws 40% of the time, and mixing the other five pitches from his arsenal in. Bassett is labeled as a holly for Nick Pollock, and not a Toby for a good reason. He's really good. Then Kodai Senga of the Mets went six innings pitched, one earned run, three hits, three walks, and 12 strikeouts against the Rays. Have yourself a day, Kodai Senga. Honestly, before I can get into Senga's performance... I have to say that this was the game of the year for me so far as a baseball fan and as a Mets fan. It had great pitching, a constant back and forth with scoring, exciting game-tying home runs, including a game-tying three-run homer in the bottom of the ninth with two outs by Francisco Alvarez, and then a walk-off homer by Alonso in the 10th. It was honestly just amazing. I think any baseball fan that watched that recognized how good of a game that was. Anyways, back to Senga, who managed to carve up the best team in baseball with ease. The ghost forkball worked really well in this one, going 8 for 26 in whiffs, but the rest of his arsenal really performed well in this one too. Nick has him labeled as a cherry bomb, and I pretty much agree with it. After watching all of Sanga's start so far, it seems like the first time around the lineup, or first time facing a team, that ghost forkball works wonders. Batters will chase it, they don't see it very well, etc. However, After they see it a few times, they start to lay off of it or just clobber it. So we saw the ceiling that Senga can provide in starts like this. But beware of the downside of him in his first year in the majors because there's still some things that he's working through.
1: Yeah, Senga is one of those guys where I think a lot of people were hyped by his um, arsenal, right? Like he he has four pitches that he throws pretty consistently. Um, But the reliability of those pitches just isn't completely there. Um, which means that when he's on, he's on. But when he's off, it it isn't super pretty. Um, Like, he has only had, like, three blow-ups, to be honest. So, you know, there is that. Um, But it is one of those things where that's a cherry bomb, right? You can't rely on him in every single circumstance um, because he'll give up four runs to Oakland, right? Or he'll shut out Colorado because he should be doing that. um, Or he'll limit the race to one run because he's just that good sometimes so yeah it's tough to have him on your team because you never know exactly what you're going to get um but at least it's positive to see that he is um improving and showing us like what he's truly capable of um, as the season goes on moving on to thursday then uh we've got the our the daily hitting recap again from mark Stubinger. uh starting out with wilson contreras of the cardinals who went two for five with two homers two runs and six rbi If you've been following any baseball news in general, you'll know that Contreras has had an extremely weird couple of weeks. Early in May, the Cardinals announced that they were moving the catcher, Contreras, who they'd signed for five years and $87.5 million to replace Yadier Molina. And they were going to move him to the outfield because that seemed like a good way to use that investment. Um, But then, guess what? They did decide to put him back at catcher, and the Cardinals have gone 9-2 since. Contreras might not have the defensive chops to be a truly elite all-around catcher, but he certainly has the hit tool as he blasted two homers uh, against uh, Julio Arias and um, one of the Dodgers relievers, and the Cardinals just decide to just shellack them 16-8. So, um, you know, maybe the Cardinals are actually back, and like I said, we could get their collective um, heads out of their putts. Uh On the opposite side, though, Freddie Freeman of the Dodgers went 2-for-5 with a triple, a homer, a run, and 4 RBI. He, this was actually a milestone night for him because he hit the 300th homer of his career. So, congratulations to Freddie. He's currently slashing 313, 382, 536 with eight homers, 36 runs, and 27 RBI. Oh, and he's got the speed too. He's got six stolen bases on this season. Freeman is certainly showing that he deserves to be in the conversation for the best first baseman in baseball. Um, obviously, you got names like Vlad and, um, guys like Goldschmidt as well but Freeman has been doing really really well this season um and it's and it's cool to see hey
2: don't forget about my boy Pete at first base probably the best first baseman
1: (laughs) you're not wrong I I specifically left him out because I figured you'd say something about it but he is he is leading the league in homers right now so you can't discount that at all
2: that's right but Freddie Freeman is just remarkable he's a hall of fame type player and really remarkable day hitting a grand slam for his 300th career home run I mean, he's already chipping in steals this season. What more could you ask? I mean, there was a thing that I saw that I wanted to bring up that I think it was on MLB Network, where Mm -hmm. it was a joint interview with Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman. And (laughs) I think something along the lines of being asked, I think Mark DeRosa said, hey, why don't you try to steal more bases than Mookie Betts this season? Freddie goes, oh, I'll leave the steals to Mookie. Well, it seems like he's actually taking over the stolen base role from Mookie Bats because he's got more steals than him. So pretty uh, awesome stuff from Freddie Freeman there. And then Wilson Contreras, if you rostered him, you were probably super disappointed at the start because he wasn't giving you much of anything, and you probably paid a pretty good price on draft day for him. And I thought that his price would go up because he was joining the Cardinals and that lineup is really good. And... This is what's happening now. He's finally gotten into a groove. When players change teams, they struggle a bit sometimes, and it's hard to get acclimated to the situation. He was thrown right into the three spot in the lineup, and then all this controversy happened. But now he's feeling right at home on the Cardinals, and he's picking it up. And he's on pace to hit about 20 to 25 homers, which he's done every season. So you can pretty much rely on him to get to those numbers. And if you have him, I bet you're pretty happy with that.
1: Yeah, and it's also you joined a team that doesn't know how to use its players correctly. So. Right, yeah is also that uh, but moving on to pitching we have the Taj Podge article from Nick Pollock and we're going to talk about Yuri Perez who um, st- had his debut start in the majors last weekend uh, wasn't uh, lights out or anything but against Washington he earned his first win of his young career pitching five innings one and in run three hits one walk and six strikeouts um, so far he's given up three earned runs over 9.2 innings but he has also attacked along 13 strikeouts with that. He's got a 13.7% CSW and a 1.03 whip. Does he still need work, right? But is, he, is he completely polished for the majors? Obviously not. He's only 20 years old. He wasted a lot of fastballs off the plate. He only managed a 46 zone percentage on that four-seamer, despite it getting actually a pretty decent amount of called strikes. Um, the secondaries also just need to get more whips. He was relying on that fastball a lot. That being said, though... It is no small feat to earn your first win in the majors. Congrats to Gary, and here's to a really solid future career. I just wouldn't start him next week as he is in cores, and um, that's a great way to be welcomed into the major leagues with your third start. And then Nestor Cortez of the Yankees went up against Toronto, uh, getting the win with six innings, two in runs, five hits, one walk, and six strikeouts. I'll be honest, I decided to roll the dice and start Cortez yesterday in my home league despite him facing the Blue Jays at Great Canadian Small Park. Now granted, my league is incredibly ratios heavy. Our main counting step for pitchers is actually innings pitched. So it made sense for me to go ahead and see if this could work out. Uh, and it did. Nestor's slider made a reappearance. Boy, was it impressive. Had a 43% CSW, which surprising was all on called strikes, which is kind of funny. But it did help set up his cutter and four-seamer and the fastball looked pretty good last night. Got 10 whips total. We just hope that he's this good against the Orioles next time around.
2: Yeah, so Nestor, I actually benched in my 12-team NFBC league because I was scared of this matchup. And it paid yep. off for people who were ballsy enough to do it. So props to you for starting Cortez. Obviously, you said it's more independent on innings pitch, so it made a little bit more sense. But yeah, Nestor Cortez has been horrible. And mainly he's been horrible in like the 5th and 6th innings where he just absolutely gets schlacked. So, I'm not sure why that is. Maybe it's just because the gimmick wears off or it's just the stuff becomes more predictable. I'm not really sure what happens there, but it's nice to see Nestor back on the train here because he was very good last season and he's been very good in his career. So hopefully he gets back on track and could be a little bit of a staple there in the Yankees rotation with Sevi coming back. Maybe a little bit of the load of him being perfect kind of goes off of his chest and he feels a little bit better about that. And then Yuri Perez, man. He's going to be so exciting. I can't wait. Nick's breakdown for Yuri Perez on YouTube was a great watch as well. Go and watch that if you haven't. And yeah, just really cool stuff from Yuri Perez. Good to see him get his first win. It wasn't the best of starts, obviously, but it'll do. I mean, he's been so good so far.
1: Yeah, and uh, he's still only 20 years old, so he still has a long way to go. Oh, yeah. He's a
2: big prospect for a reason, and we're going to see a lot of him. And yay for him being in the NL East. Woohoo! But now we are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll be joined by Pitcherless writer Jack Connors to go over his article, Can't Fight This Stealing, Making Sense of the Stolen Base Craze. Stay tuned. All right, we are back and joined by Pitcherless writer Jack Connors. Jack, welcome back to the show. How's everything going with
3: you? Very good. Thanks for having me.
2: Of course. Now, for people who didn't catch the first time that you were on the podcast, tell us a little bit more about yourself, like what team you're a fan of, or how long you've been playing fantasy for.
3: Yep. So, I am a fan of the Pittsburgh Pirates, Pittsburgh native. Um, uh, it's been an emotional season, for sure. I think uh, we got we got out over our skis a little bit when we were 20 and 8, and now we're uh, coming back down to earth a little bit. So, you know, it's been interesting. It's been fun to have meaningful baseball, at least. Um Yeah. I've been playing fantasy for 15 years, probably since I was about 10 years old. So yeah, I've been playing for a long time.
2: Yeah. It's a long time back. Those were the good old days. We used to send in stuff with paper and pen. No, (laughs) we're not that old. (laughs) I remember people talk about that from ages ago, how they used to play fantasy baseball and they'd have to like look at the newspaper to see box scores and stuff. And that's just wild. (laughs) Like the dedication that must've took to play fantasy baseball is remarkable.
3: Yeah. The manual scoring and everything. It's uh come a long way.
2: Yeah, just a little bit, just a little bit. Now, we're going to get into your article, which is Can't Fight This Stealing, Making Sense of the Stolen Base Craze, which is a fantastic read. There's a lot of interesting tools and information. Do you want to give us a quick little overview of what the article entails?
3: Yeah, so the article um, is kind of multi-pronged. I think much has been made nationally and, and locally in the media about how the the new rules have affected the the um, base running environment in the big leagues and um i i think that's evident to the naked eye um that there's definitely been an uptick in activity but i kind of got curious about um how much exactly stolen bases were um were up by um how much it actually mattered um and kind of who was who was really taking advantage of it so those are kind of the three the three categories that I explore in the article.
1: Yeah, the the one thing maybe we want to start with is there's a lot of numbers in here um, and there's specifically <laughs> one stat that you kind of start out with um, RE24. Uh, and the way I understood it by reading the article is that um, it's just a way to av- assign value uh, in different base running contexts. Uh, but could you give us, yeah, a bit more information on what RE24 is? what does it tell us and ultimately how is it
3: calculated? Sure, bear with me. I'm, I'm going to get into the the sabermetrics weeds here a little bit. Um
2: <laughs> put the glasses on, put the glasses on.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So an an important deline- delineation I'll make off the bat is there's a statistic called RE24 that stands for run expectancy in the 24 given base out combinations you can have in a game. Um For example, you can have a runner on first and third with one out. You can have second and third with nobody out. The list goes on and on. There's 24 of them. Um, So RE24, the stat, is calculated using RE24 coefficients. So there's one coefficient for each of those 24 situations, and that coefficient signifies how many runs a team can expect to score in the rest of an inning based on that situation with league average hitters and league average pitchers built into the assumption. So the RE24 is calculated with the expected runs from the end state. So after a hitter gets a single, drives in a runner from third, the end state is whatever the value is for a runner on first from the beginning state. So whatever it was with the runner on third and adding the run scored. So it's essentially a way of saying how valuable was this at-bat not just, oh, there was a single with a man on third. There was, you know, this expected situation and what actually happened and how much credit do we actually give the hitter for that situation. The inverse is true of the pitcher. Um, so we can kind of take that logic and extrapolate it out to to um, to base stealing based on kind of the incremental um, runs that, that you would expect to score from going from one situation to another by stealing a base.
2: Yeah. That's a really cool tool. The RE24 to kind of figure out how it's all assessed and how it works in all the combination of scenarios. So how does understanding RE24 help us understand the value of a stolen base in its theory?
3: Yeah. So I think, I think there's, there's two ways to look at this. The one is, is like you say, kind of retroactively assigning value to stolen bases, um, You know, kind of a, um, as we've gone through, you know, many, many iterations of hitting analytics, um, we've gone from batting average to to things like WOBA and WRC Plus that do a lot, a lot better job of contextualizing um, how even, you know, how valuable um, the hits that someone is, is recording actually are to the team. You know, it's great if you have a 300 batting average, but if they're all singles, you'd rather have a guy that hits 250 with some home run power. Um, I think the same thing can be kind of true of stolen, stolen bases. Um, so if we look at it in that sense, we can kind of go back and say, okay, this guy has 30 stolen bases, but they're all second base and they were all in this situation. Um, so how much value is that really adding? Right. Um, the, the other way to to look at it, I think is in a decision-making context, if you can get a decent idea of. How successful you expect to be at stealing bases in a given given situation, you can get kind of an expected runs added, uh, if you will, um, from from a stolen base. So if you've got a guy that's stealing, you want a guy to steal third, and um, got an 85% success rate that that historically, and you, you expect that to to ring true in the situation, you'd expect a a pretty big spike in, um, expected runs by getting that guy to third in the right, in the right situation. Um, so it can kind of, I think, you know, assist in that application as well.
1: Yeah. It's, it's kind of interesting looking at all the different formulas and things could happen, you know, like, uh, you even talk about in the article, like what happens if you have a double steal or, um, you know, what, what are these, how do these things vary depending on like the the quality of the, the base runner, right? Are they, um, what what is their success rate is it a high success rate is it a you know a 50 percent success rate um and i think it's a, it's it's interesting here too you you'd kind of talk about um scenarios where um uh, this isn't exactly what you call it in your article but just something to think about is with the ghost runner rule right you have a man starting on second base with with no outs based on re24 the expected run from that situation is a little over a run, but move him over to the third and it jumps up to 1.3. And so like the concept of like someone stealing third base, like what you were just talking about, um, how that is much more advantageous, especially now with this, the whole ghost runner rule, of just understanding, you know, how do we get our fast speedy guys, you know, in that ghost runner role managers are always thinking about this. And I think it's interesting, even from a fantasy perspective, Um, knowing like the context that the players that we draft, you know, the teams that they're on and how aggressive or how successful they might be. Um, What are some numbers then that stood out to you while doing this analysis? What are, what are some cool tidbits that you pulled out of, uh, out of looking at the data?
3: Yeah. So, so I think kind of, kind of going back to what you mentioned, the double steals with, with guys first and second with one or nobody out by far have the highest payoff. Um, Mm -hmm. If, if you're successful, you're adding nearly a half a run in both of those situations. If you're, if you're able to, to complete the steal. And I think something that, that's kind of interesting about that is especially in the, the nobody out situation, it kind of goes against that conventional wisdom that, you know, you never want to run into the, the first out at, at third. Um, so, so obviously in that situation, you know, I think we have to, it's all, it's all well and good, right. To talk about how much you add by being successful. There's also varying levels of risk, right? So it's a bigger cost to go from first and second with nobody out to just a guy on second with one out than it is to go from first and second with one out to just a guy on second with two outs, right? So so while they're both of equal value when you're successful, there's, there's important implications with the failure rate as well. So
0: mm-hmm. it's
3: useful to look at like a break-even rate. Um, if you look at the break-even rate, we'll call it with one out, you only have to be successful fifty-eight percent, so it's to be like a positive expected value proposition. And similarly, you know, you'd expect that rate to need to be a little bit higher with with zero outs because there's more risk involved. So that's like sixty-four percent. But the attempt rate, if you look at all the situations where where a steal was available, two percent of the time with with nobody out and five percent of the time with, with one out. And obviously it's, you know, the success rates on these attempted steals are actually pretty high because managers only really do it when they've got a really fast guy or someone who's extremely slow to the plate and they're sure they can, they can take advantage of it. So, you know, there's an aspect of the game's one on the field and not on paper. And this is all well and good, but it doesn't do much good if you have Daniel Vogelbach on second base. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause I know um, when the Marlins were playing the twins um, early in the season uh there was this kind of concept that the the Marlins the Marlins runners on base were able to kind of time Pablo Lopez's um, windup and pitch, and so they managed to get a couple steals that series, that that game specifically because they were able to time him out, and so you know maybe you have a better success rate because you know the pitcher better and you know when he's gonna when he's going to pitch based on you know the pitch clock and things like that, um, or maybe your success rate goes up or down depending on the catcher that's you know behind home plate if he's got a good arm or even against the team that you're playing maybe they, they just their strategies we don't throw guys out like we don't we won't do pickoffs we'll just you know deal with an extra runner um i think there's like like you mentioned like the the game isn't necessarily one on paper but there's a lot of things that can help us inform uh whether this is a good situation or not and i think that's that there's infinite sort of interesting possibilities that you can pull from uh from understanding that data
3: yeah, 100. One of the other interesting things that, that stood out to me is um, I was I was curious how many um, how many of the stolen bases this year were um, of second base with second base unoccupied. Mm-hmm. Um, so stealing first with just a runner on first or a runner on third. It's 82% of the attempted steals across the league, which you know you'd expect it to be higher because you often you way more often have a guy on first with nobody on second than you do really any other situation so so to some extent it's intuitive but it, when you look at kind of the expected value of stealing second base really in any given situation um, without getting a guy over to third um, it's it's it kind of pales in comparison so it's it's interesting that we kind of have this the seeming like obsession in the league with with taking second base and, and it makes right. sense you want to get a guy into scoring position but mm-hmm um the cost benefit analysis might not necessarily be aligned with how frequently we're doing we're doing it
1: right it's all this understanding like how do you define even like scoring position because there's guys who can score from first depending on the ball that's hit and there's some guys that can't score from second depending on where the where the ball is hit and yep. I definitely recommend people to check out um uh, jack's article because he does kind of have these numbers listing out like this is how the the re24 value increases when you have a guy in first compared to a guy in second and it's it is interesting kind of how small it is it's like 0.1.2 of a run more um and sometimes yeah that that maybe isn't worth uh getting that guy over to second um just just based on just on trying to steal
2: yeah, some players that can't go from second home are, you know, Daniel Vogelbach, like we mentioned. So, <laughs> but you pointed out some players that have had high success rates. What are some teams that you're seeing take advantage of these opportunities that are presented because of the stolen base changes?
3: Yeah, there's kind of an interesting dynamic going on here. Um, there's there's four teams that stuck out to me that are stealing frequently and have, or you know, at least at least above league average um, and have like really high success rates. The Guardians. Um, have forty four stolen bases and eighty six percent success rate. The Orioles have forty one steals, eighty four percent success rate. and then you kind of drop off in frequency with St. Louis and Boston, but the Cardinals have thirty four steals with an eighty seven percent success rate and and the Red sox have twenty seven steals with also an eighty seven percent success rate. now the, the interesting thing here is Boston and St. Louis are doing a way better job taking advantage of those situations. Um, St. Louis. Uh, 275 average of runners in scoring position, and and Boston has a 294 average of runners in scoring position. So they're stealing less than those teams, but they're way more likely to get get those guys in, um, and they're super successful in the in those stolen base attempts. Um, I think another interesting thing too is um, the Guardians like never steal second, never steal third. I think they have they have 44 stolen bases, 41 of them are of second.
2: Wow. <laughs>
3: so. It's probably not a mystery that given that a 237 runners in scoring position average and like a 225 average overall, they have like 150 runs on the season, which is, you know, bottom of the barrel. Right. Um, And then you look at like another interesting thing I kind of picked out when I was looking at this is if you look at the Pirates and the Rays, obviously two offenses that don't really belong in the same conversation, but (laughs) bear, bear with me for a moment. They've got similar success rates, both below league average. So the the Rays have stolen a lot of bases, and so are the Pirates. The Pirates lead the league, and they both um, are successful about 75% of that time. I think the Rays might be 76%. Um, but the Pirates have stolen third 12 times, and the Rays have only done it four times. Um, and <laughs> I'm not trying to make a case that the Pirates are Better base runners or a better offense than the Rays. I don't
2: know. But that's what it sounds like, Jack. i not... <laughs> just, just
3: just painting a just painting a picture that you know a success rate can be more palatable in in my eyes at least mm-hmm. if you are um, taking the risks in the in the right situation, right? Like the Rays are getting thrown out at second a lot, and it doesn't matter because they hit a million home runs. But yeah, yeah. Um, the Pirates. That's probably a probably a big reason why um, they were successful early on in the season is they're moving guys over to third. Um, 75, you know, 75% success rate on stolen bases in, in that situation, um, and I think you can stomach that, you know, based on those break-even, break-even points, even though it's, you know, below league average overall.
2: Yeah, I was kind of shocked to see the Cardinals on that list because I just thought to myself really quickly, like, who's stealing bases on the Cardinals? I can't even think of someone off the top of my head besides Tommy Edmond, but it makes sense that their success rate in it relating to scoring runs makes sense because. Arenado's one of the most clutch guys with runners in scoring position. He gets a lot of RBI. Goldschmidt, same thing. Wilson Contreras. So it makes sense that they're taking advantage of the steals and turning them into runs.
3: Believe it or not, Paul Goldschmidt has as many stolen bases as Tommy Edmund.
2: Yeah, which is crazy so, to think. But yeah. I kind of understand because Goldie kind of takes advantage of all those opportunities, whereas Edmund kind of runs all right. He's pretty fast, but he doesn't take advantage of the opportunities as much as Goldie does.
3: Yeah, I've been kind of surprised. At Edmund this year too. He I think he had thirty plus in the last two years, and he yep. only has six so far. So, it's a little weird. It's a little weird. Um, there's a couple guys in the league that that have kind of not taken advantage of the rules that you would think. He's one. Uh, Randy Rosarena is another one. Um, Adolis Garcia I
2: mean, is somebody that I think should be having some more stolen base attempts. Yeah, as well.
3: Yeah. Who cares about Randy Rosarena though? But it's just, <laughs> he just like he hits home runs all the time. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You'll you'll take. That. We can we can forgive him for not stealing as much. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, looking uh, at, with a fantasy ban, obviously it's usually a bad idea just to pick up a guy just because he steals bases. Um, one category of guys that, that do that aren't exactly at the top of my list um, in terms of my waiver wire pickups. But, that being said, um, are there any sort of sleeper speed picks that you think fantasy managers should be looking at? Whether that's maybe the team context around them, like the team likes to steal, <laughs> um, or they're kind of being put in good situations to um, to get some extra bases.
3: Yeah, it's a tough. It is, it is kind of a, a tough exercise because you're right. Um, it's not you know those those guys that just steal are kind of a known quantity, um, and then you know the other guys are already good. So like everybody, right. they they're all rostered. Um, but I think that there's a few interesting cases um, that are maybe a little you know non traditional you wouldn't necessarily think of them as a sleeper, but maybe good by low situations. Mm -hmm. Um, Tim Anderson comes to mind as someone, um, he's getting dropped like crazy. Um, ESPN, he's down to like 57% rostered. Um, he's got six stolen bases. There's just no, like there's been no real offensive output from him. His, his average is okay. But, you know, I think with a guy like him, you kind of want to see him up around 300 because he's not going to hit a lot of home runs. Um, but he's still hitting the ball hard 36% of the time. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, there's a pretty decent chance he might get a change of scenery at some point this season. So oh. maybe maybe that'll help. You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm reading between the tea leaves a little bit there. Yep. I'm, mm-hmm. know, I'm not saying, you know. You're here to hear but, first, guys. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Breaking news. First. Jack from Pittsburgh is telling you that the Chicago <laughs> yeah. White Sox are going to yeah, trade exactly. Tim Anderson.
1: Yeah, I'll hang up on uh,
3: that. <laughs> I think it's possible. You know, they could be sellers. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of a guy that, you know, kind of fits that mold. So mm-hmm. definitely definitely interesting there. I would expect the offensive output to get a little better, and he seems to be taking advantage of the, the new rules a little bit on the basis. Um, Jorge Mateo is, like, all aboard the regression train right now. Kind yep. of got out to, like, a ridiculous start that nobody expected. Um, a, you know, kind of above average power output. I think he has six home runs. Um and he's stealing a lot of bases. He has thirteen steals. But I think all like all of those home runs were in April pretty much. He's yeah. done like nothing in May. Um but I you know, I still think he, he can be a like tolerably productive player with the, the steals that that he comes up with. Um he's got thirteen stolen bases, which is, you know, nothing to nothing to balk at. Um and he's getting dropped like crazy. So, you know, good good goodbye opportunity on a guy who's struggling right now, but you know, he'll yeah. be
2: Mateo is someone that's definitely getting dropped left and right I personally dropped him in one of my leagues and he's someone that had 35 stolen bases last season so he's definitely going to provide you those deals so that's a good call
3: yeah 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 and you know hopefully he he can right the ship a little bit offensively you know I wouldn't obviously wouldn't expect him to do what he he did in April but hopefully he can be you know kind of like league average in the batting average department and not be a liability elsewhere Um, because he is you're right he's, he's got elite speed and then the last one is, you know, probably like a strictly deep league. You're hurting for depth. Um, John Birdie, oh yeah, uh, led the league in steals last year and only like a, like like barely over 100 games, I think. Um, he caught my eye a little bit because he's playing more. Um, he's on track to have the most playing time he's had in his career. So the Marlins are running him out there, and he's got second base, shortstop, and third base eligibility. So. You know, he's only owned in four percent of leagues for a reason. He doesn't hit any home runs. He's not gonna drive in any RBIs. The average is up a little bit this year and he's he's scoring runs because because the Marlins offense is is a little bit improved. So, you know, if you're really if you're really hurting for infield depth, you know, take a flyer on John Birdie because he's almost certainly available.
2: Yeah, those are all really good picks. Another one I don't like this type of player, especially for fantasy purposes, but as you said before, the Guardians are really good at Stealing bases and turning that into runs. Miles Straw is just another name off the top of my head that will probably steal about 20 bases this season, maybe a little bit more. But he doesn't give you literally anything else. So it's so hard to roster a player like that only in the deepest of leagues I'd recommend it. But that's another sleeper speed option I think you can get.
3: Yeah, definitely. I think Ahmed Rosario kind of fits that bill too. Yeah, well absolutely. The Guardians. He's, I mean, he's owned a lot more than, than Straw and I think has been kind of deeply disappointing this year after he signed a big extension in the offseason if I'm if I'm not mistaken um but yeah more of a more of a speed guy it seems yeah.
2: yeah I completely agree with that but that wraps up the interview with Jack Connors on his article can't fight this stealing making sense of the stolen base craze Jack thank you so much for your time before you go do you have any social media to plug or is there any articles in the works that you're excited about
3: yeah, so I believe when I was on here last, I declared that I had gone off social media, but I did get back on Twitter. Oh, uh, okay, the return. Uh, I have yes, I have bitten the bullet and gotten back on. Um, so I'm on Twitter at shredwilliams1, um, and I will have a new edition of Patience or Panic coming out next Wednesday. Okay. Um, and, and that's about it for now. I got a couple things coming out. You know, a little further down the line, but nothing solid yet. So look out for that on Wednesday.
2: Awesome. Well, once again, Jack, thank you for your time. And maybe we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks, guys. Now, let's get into streamers for next week. John, what are the names we have this time?
1: So here's the thing, right? Like normally I pick on AL Central teams because they're all bad. (laughs) uh even the twins suck at getting runs across the board if you want to look at a fun stat look at how the twins do when the bases are loaded it's actually incredible how bad they are um funny enough though next week uh they're all playing each other uh except for the twins they're they're doing their own thing um so that being said i think a good majority of ale central pitchers could be really solid streaming picks so i'm just going to list a couple of them below obviously these aren't all the great streamers that i would necessarily suggest but Hey, you know, it's fun. It's fun to pick at your old, your own uh, division. So here we go. Like I mentioned already, Michael Lorenzen, 12% roster on Yahoo, 4% roster on ESPN. He's probably one of the better two-start streamers next week going against the Royals on Monday. And then he gets the White Sox on Friday. Logan Allen of the Guardians, um, he's 38% rostered on Yahoo, but 50% roster on ESPN. So he should be available in most of your leagues. He gets the White Sox on Tuesday, and then that follows up with the Cardinals on Sunday. Allen has been solid, not necessarily stellar, but he does enough to probably get a win. And if he gets going, it could result in a quality start and then a strike up inning. So definitely not anything to scoff at. And then Matthew Boyd, uh, who, as we're recording this on Friday, uh, was doing a thing through five innings, uh, is no longer doing that thing. He had a no hitter going. But that's maybe a sign of kind of some interesting stuff. Uh, he's currently 4% rostered in both Yahoo and ESPN leagues. His second time around with the Tigers has not been that great, but he has had a few stalled starts here and there. Again, nothing really stands out with Boyd, unfortunately. However, a date against one of the worst offensive teams in baseball on Wednesday against the Royals could be something that works out here. Again, he pitched a no-hitter through five innings against the Nationals, so imagine what he can do against the Royals. And then Alex Foguero, who is 1% rostered in both ESPN and Yahoo. This one I'd probably hold off a little bit unless you really need someone the White Sox on Thursday, that's who Alex gets, and they could be fairly toothless against Fayedo They have a team they have a team WRC plus of ninety-two and a seven oh two team OPS. Both of those aren't very good numbers. Fayeto had a poor quality start against Seattle with seven strikeouts, so maybe lightning strikes twice here.
2: So I am fully in the camp of stream absolutely anybody against the Royals. I'm currently getting cooked by Michael Kopech in one of my leagues that someone streamed him in. He's against the Royals. Kopech stinks, and he's like perfect through four, I think, at the moment. So yeah, stream anybody against the Royals. I like the Michael Lorenzen shout. I like the Matthew Boyd shout. They're both middling pitchers. But for a stream, if they're against the Royals, start them. It really can't hurt you too much. I mean, go for it. So with that being said, my favorites would be Lorenzen, Boyd, Allen, Fiedo, in that order. And maybe just Fiedo last because he is on the Tigers and I don't really see him getting a win. We right. could, yep. but in wins leagues, Fiedo is probably your worst bet for a win here, but Lorenzen and Boyd against the Royals is just so easy to pick on. I mean, like I said, they're middling pitchers, and they can just totally take advantage of that horrible Royals offense. I mean, Michael Waka just carved them up. Kopex carving them up. Anybody can carve them up. I could probably carve them up. Give me a little bit of time to work on my sweeper, and maybe I can just demolish the Royals. Let's not get too excited, but you might have a point. <laughs> Yeah, Well, I was just a strike thrower when I played baseball. I was like 65, 70 miles per hour max, but I can throw strikes. So, hey, maybe I could get a strikeout or two. They probably just tee off on me like batting practice. But (laughs) like I said, give me some time to work on my sweeper. Maybe we can get something working. But that's all for this episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Hopefully, you take some streamer recommendations from us and you learn some stuff from the article that we went over, Can't Fight the Stealing, Making Sense of the Stolen Base craze. Thank you to Jack Connors for joining us. And hopefully, the recaps were able to help you out a little bit with seeing who's hot and who's not. But with that being said, that's all for this episode. Before you go, please follow us on Twitter. It's at this PL, And send us your comments and questions at pod at gmail.com. You can find John on Twitter. At the John K, that's T H E J O H N K E, and myself on Twitter at Regisidal, that's R E G I C I D A L. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the Pictureless Podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts on, and leave us a five star review if you enjoy listening to the show. Lastly, sign up for PitcherList Plus. By doing so, you can join us in the PitcherList Discord and get advice from all of the fantasy experts and writers over there. But that's all for this week. We'll be back next week with another episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. For John, I'm Lee, and we'll see you in the next one. Later, everyone.